Today's sermon passage is from Exodus 17, verses 1 through 16. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt, to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him, and fought with Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed, and whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hand grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with a sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book, and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Before we look to Exodus this morning, As we've been singing and praying, you know, this is the second service that I've done this today, but the thought that I just can't shake is that in all of the ways the last 12 months have primed us all to say, Lord, help. Lord, help. And when we find ourselves there, we... We find ourselves in a long line of faithful people that the Lord has come and delivered, including those at the time when Jesus came and we hear, Behold your king. So this Christmas season, I I pray that in all of our weakness we would find hope and the love of a God who sends his son to help his people, to deliver them. And ultimately, I think a similar point is the point of Exodus chapter 17. God fights for his people as his people do God's work. God fights for his people as God's people do God's work. We're in a strange part of the book of Exodus. 
God's people are, are physically transitioning from Egypt to the promised land. They're also transitioning from you know, the children of, of Abraham to the nation of Israel. And they're transitioning from slavery to freedom as the people of God. And this transition is a long one. And this transition seems to be a repetitive one. And I have to admit, you know, the last three chapters and, and four sermons, I, I felt like I've, I've stood up here and said the same thing over and over and over. It's okay for you to admit, yeah, you've, you've done that. Um, and, and all the way until about 5.30 this morning, I was still just like, okay, Lord, like, like, I got to say something different today. Like, like, what is it in this passage that, and I think the Lord just didn't lead in any different direction because today's not a day to be creative. There are creative days. I just am rarely creative. But Exodus 17 says, God fights for his people. Particularly as his people do his work. And I'm left to believe that the Lord wants us to embrace that today. So much so that we trust him more. So much so that we depend on him more. So much so that his faithfulness will produce faith and his faithfulness will produce a faithful obedience that shapes who we are. But the main point of Exodus 17 is that the power of God is on display as God fights for his people. So let's look at how the story teaches us that and, and, and then we'll think about it a little bit together. If you want to take notes, the first point is the rock. And we find this in verses 1 through 7. There's actually two crises in this passage. One is the people are thirsty. They're dehydrated and they wonder if there's going to be enough water for them to survive. The second crisis is an attack, war, battle. This one... This first one is about water. Now, if you've been with us through the book of Exodus, you're probably thinking, like, didn't we do water like two weeks ago? Yeah, we did. They were thirsty. They didn't have water. They assumed that God was just going to let them die. And they grumbled about it. And God provided water for his people in a miraculous way such that they were delivered. And we love to think that we would be so shaped by such an event that we would never question God again. But yet here we are. They're thirsty again. Look at verse 7. This is where it ends. And Moses called the name of the place Massa, 
which means testing, and Meribah, which means contention, because the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord. Now, guys, the Hebrew people were not very creative in how they named things. And that gives me some comfort. Just say what it is. But more than grumbling, verse 7 tells us that the people were ultimately wondering, is the Lord among us or not? Is God with us? Through all the miracles, through all the miraculous, through all the powerful hand of God displayed, the people are still wrestling with, is God with us? And what does God do? He shows definitively that he's with them and that no that nothing will thwart his plans for his people, even the loss or the absence of water. Now, what enters the stage in this chapter is the staff that Moses has had throughout his leading of God's people. And the purpose of the staff, this is not like Harry Potter, okay? Like it's not your um, wand to do magical things whenever you want to. The purpose of the staff was to be a representation of God's power for God's people. So the instance that's referred to in the passage is that when God in Exodus turned the Nile River to blood, he did so by having Moses touch the water with the staff. What was the purpose of that? The staff was a symbol of God's power at work through Moses. So we haven't seen the staff in the last few chapters, but here God tells Moses to get the staff and to use it. And what they do is they go, Moses selects some of the elders of the people and they pass before the people where all the people see Moses carrying the staff that symbolizes God's presence. And they go and they strike a rock. Now let's do geology for a minute. A rock is a solid of solids. It's hard. It's firm. It's thorough. It's not a gourd. It's a rock. And the last thing that you would expect to be inside a big rock in a desert is water. And God is powerfully and miraculously going to show his power toward his people by making water gush out of a rock. So much so that all the people, are fit, or all the people have water to drink. The Lord again shows his people that he will powerfully be with them and deliver them and work for them. The, the story 
of the rock shows us that God will powerfully provide for the needs of his people as they carry out his work. Again, I don't know that there's any other way to say this except the Lord wanted Israel to believe that he would not allow anything to stop his plans for his world and for his people as they were unfolding. And that's still true today, friends. God will not allow anything to stop his plans to build his kingdom through the followers of his son to the ends of the earth. So what do we do with this? Well, first of all, don't consider this story about the rock or I would say the manna or I would say the other story about thirst. Don't consider these stories as God's plan to give his people everything they desire. That would, not, that would be taking this story way too far. It doesn't say that God's people get everything they desire. It says nothing will stand in the way of God's plan for his people. Second, don't consider this story a promise that God's people will never struggle. They were already struggling. He met them in their struggle. Consider it a clear declaration of God's powerful intervention shouting, nothing will stop my work through my people. Nothing. Finally, this is another story that shows us Jesus is our connection to the work of God. We've been saying all along, our connection to Exodus comes through this is interactive today, by the way. Our connection comes through. If you're, if you're on Facebook, you can talk to. Our connection comes through, through Christ, through Jesus. And it's not just like one thread that goes from Exodus to Jesus. It's a whole bunch of them. Who's our Passover lamb? Jesus. Who's the blood? By, whose blood delivers us? Jesus. Who's the presence of God with us? Who's our cloud? Jesus. Who's our spiritual food? Who's our manna? Jesus. Here's one more. Who's our rock who supplies all of our needs for the work of the kingdom? Jesus. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea 
And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food. And all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. So what's Paul saying there? He's saying that the provision of God to the people of God has always come through Jesus the Son. Our connection to God's provision is through Jesus. So here's what this means. If you're here today, if you're engaging in this message today and you know Christ, then God's blessing and provision and protection and promises are for you and he is working for you in his world. We get to believe such a great truth. And if you're here today wondering what it means to be a Christian, wondering what it looks like to think about this whole sin, death, Jesus, resurrection, people of God thing, here's the invitation. Come to Jesus. Come to him and find a God who is for you in all things. Come to him and be transitioned from an enemy of God to a friend of God more than a friend, to family of God. Christ is the source of God's blessing in his world. That's the invitation. Come to him. In all of our lamenting, the answer is Jesus. Let a rock running with water shout, The love of God revealed in Christ is all I need. I come to him. Second, we see the battle. Now, what verses 8 through 13 tell us is that God's people are going to be physically attacked by another nation, the people of Amalek. Interestingly, this passage doesn't tell us what war did to the people of Israel. So we're left to just kind of think about it, but if an absence of water caused them to grumble, and an absence of food caused them to really grumble, and then another absence of water called them, caused them to doubt, is God even with us? I don't know. The attack of another nation seems to be a pretty big threat. Ultimately, God's going to deliver his people as they obediently trust him and do exactly what he says. So this was the response. The Lord says, choose men for Israel to go and fight. A man named Joshua enters the scene. This is the first time we've seen Joshua. Joshua is going to become a more and more prominent figure as the story goes on. And God says, tomorrow Joshua is going to lead the men 
into battle. And Moses, along with a man, along with Aaron and a man named Hur, are going to go up on the mountain. And this is what the story tells us. It tells us that a battle rages on the ground. It's a real war between real people with real fighting and real death. But it also tells us that a battle rages on the mountain. And what happens on the mountain is when Moses raises the staff, which symbolizes the power of God for the people of God, Israel advances and gets the advantage in the battle. And when Moses lowers his arms and likewise lowers the staff, Amalek advances and gets the edge in the battle. And so pretty quickly they realize that when Moses' arms are up, we win. And when they're down, we lose. So let's get his arms to stay up. But then he gets tired. You see, Moses didn't do CrossFit. So he gets tired. So we're told that Aaron and her put together a system where Moses can sit and they can hold his arms in the air and Israel prevails. Now there is so much speculation about all the leadership lessons we should learn from this. I think what we're supposed to learn from this is that when the Lord fights for his people, they win. There might be some other things that we can learn, but that's all secondary. When the Lord is fighting for his people, the Lord's people are victorious. You see, I believe that while the battle on the ground was real and it mattered, And it was important. The Lord wanted Israel to leave this battle knowing that Aaron and the men alone, excuse me, Joshua and the men alone were not enough. It was the Lord's power for the people that caused the people to prevail. The provision and the victory are intended to convey faith and hope that God will not allow any foe or any enemy to stop his purposes for his people. This story does not promise that Israel will always have blessing or always have victory in every battle. It promises that as Israel does the work of God, as told by God, God will fight for his people. Likewise, for us today, as the people of God, this passage does not promise that we will always find blessing or immediate victory but rather that as we walk with God in the work of God, he will fight for us. I believe the resounding theme 
of this battle narrative is Romans chapter 8. Verse 38. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. People of Jesus, look to God. Look to his power and trust that his power will be at work with us as we faithfully and obediently pursue his kingdom here and there, now and always. God is with his people when his people are walking in his ways, when his people are doing the work of building his kingdom. Finally, the remembrance. This is in verses 14 through 16. God seems intent that his people remember moments like the water from the rock and moments like the battle against Amalek. God seems intent that his people find confidence and hope through the prior faithfulness of God to his people. Therefore, in verse 14, he says to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book. Write it down. Why would you write it down? So the people will Remember. And recite it in the ears of Joshua. Why would you recite it in the ears of Joshua? Because when Moses moves off the scene, Joshua's moving in as the leader. And God is working now in Joshua so that Joshua will believe in the power of God for the people of God as he leads them into the promised land. God knows that Joshua needs the remembrance. Verse 15, and Moses built an altar And called the name of it, the Lord is my banner. Moses built an altar, a physical reminder that it is the Lord who is powerful for his people. Write it down. Talk about it. Make a physical reminder. Why? Because the Lord is earnest that his People remember his past faithfulness as fuel for present faith. That is what's going on. And if you think I'm reading too much into this, just go back to chapter 16. How did chapter 16 end? Make a memorial out of the manna. Make sure it's not forgotten. 
Chapter 17, how are we ending? Make a memorial out of the battle. Make sure it's not forgotten. What is this that I hold in my hand? It's a Bible. That's what we call it, yeah. That's true. Do you know what the Bible is? God's Word, thank you. You know what else it is? A written remembrance of God's faithfulness to His people. Take up and read. Take up and believe. Take up and find hope. Take up and find confidence. Because God works for His people. Have you ever wondered why the church gives so many weeks a year to the birth of Jesus and the death of Jesus? Have you ever wondered why? Because they're memorials to remind us that God meets the agony and the longing and the needs of his people with his son. Run to his son. Have you ever wondered why we take the Lord's Supper every week? Because on the last night of his life on earth, Jesus pulled his followers together and said, I'm going to give you an ongoing, as often as you do this, remembrance of who I am and what I've done and how I gave my life for you. The Lord's Supper is a visual, physical, tactile, tasting reminder. And if you put a mask on after you take it, smelling reminder that God is for his people. He fights for us. He fights our battles for us. We lean into him. Remembrances of God's faithfulness are gifts for the people of God. God fights for his people as his people walk in his ways for the work of his kingdom. So now our Father and our God, we pray that you would take these words and as much as they are true and good and right, you would cause them to give us hope and life and peace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.